puck is dropped, and it's showtime from downtown Winnipeg. Oh, see the blast. Loose puck. Scores! Shankly wires it. Scores! What a stop by Hellebuck. Kyle Connor, Jets go bang, bang, bang. Welcome to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. And welcome to another edition of Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, episode 158. And I've got your favorites in the room here, <laughs> Paul Edmonds and Jamie Thomas of 680 CJOB. And guys, how are we feeling right now? A couple of wins for the team. You know, it yeah. always just like I kind of adds to the atmosphere, I feel. Changes the mood and certainly the narrative. It's amazing what a couple of wins will do. And I've always growing up through this business, understanding that the panacea, the cure-all for anything is winning. And there's nothing more true than that. And I think more important to the four points that have been garnered in the first two home games of this five-game homestand, there's been engagement in the building again by the fans. And I think the players have felt that. And I've always talked about that symbiotic relationship here. It's certainly alive and well. And I think it's something that can maybe help the Jets through the rest of the homestand and be that seventh man. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's just so important, I think, to to have that. But winning does that and creates that for sure. And even walking around town and talking to friends and people you don't even know, like the, the whole attitude has changed towards the team and, it's amazing, even the change in uh, attitude after the between the San Jose loss and that first win over top of the Detroit Red Wings. I think the the city's starting to buzz again. I know the weather is going to change here right away, but I think people feel springs around the corner. Uh, officially, when the snow's going to be off the ground, and you're in that different part of the season, and things are a lot more exciting to come to to go out of the house and everything like that. Just one quick comment on that. Yeah. It's great to have a team like Boston because you're going to the playoffs and your team is expected to win and there's excitement about that. But there's something about a good old-fashioned playoff race to yes. get into the playoffs, isn't there? And we're in the midst of it, and I think that's where some of that excitement comes from. Mm-hmm. Certainly happening in both conferences right now. And it seemed like you know we would sit at this table here in the uh, wonderful podcast room here at the offices downtown. And we would say, you know, it's only a matter of time before the puck's going to go in. It's only a matter of time. All they have to do is yeah. keep getting the chances. But, man, I, I remember thinking early in, early in March they put up seven empty netter uh, on Edmonton. And you're like, okay, there it is. Dam's broken. Away we go. And then it kind of leveled off for a bit. Then you put up five and then in the overtime win over the Florida Panthers. And you're like, okay, there it is. And then now we've put together back-to-back uh, games with, with six goals. So now can we officially say that the Dam – has broken offensively. I think you can because I think there's a lot that goes into the anatomy of scoring 12 goals in two games. Are you going to the hard areas to play? Yes. Are you getting to the front of the net and creating chaos? Yes. Are you getting more point shots through? Yes. Are you doing all of the things that it takes in order for you to pay the price to create offense and so far so good in those games? And even prior to that, I would dare say that you were doing those things in the games that you were losing. I even think of San Jose. I mean, by every metric, every measurement, every mathematical equation that you can kind of make an application to hockey about, the Jets dominated that game. They just couldn't get shots that were either blocked or or James Reimer's hot or, or whatever. So, yeah, I think that you can say, yes, there's 12 goals. Have they turned the corner unequivocally? Uh, they could maybe only get two tomorrow, but they're also defending very well. So I think that, yes, they're, they're back to finding their way offensively. And with that, 
comes a boost in confidence to be able to score again. You know, the power play wasn't going very well, so it puts more pressure 5v5 and vice versa, and then the confidence just wanes. And guys that are paid to score goals, when they don't score goals, they feel it. And Rick Bonus talked about that not that long ago either. And on top of that, Mitch, the, the, Paul touched on it about the fact that they're defending well, and a lot of their offense has come from what they've done in the defensive end of the ice. And, I look no further than the game against the Devils, a team that is just constantly on top of you. They're fast. They're talented. The Jets took a lot of that away from New Jersey. And to keep them scoreless for the you know almost 60 minutes clearly in the game speaks to a lot. It doesn't matter that New Jersey played the night before. New Jersey was 9-2 and two in the second game of back-to-backs coming in the game. They've, and they've had one of the best records in the NHL on the road. The Jets contained one of the best offensive teams in the NHL, held them to one goal. I think a lot has to be said from that. Really good sticks. I remember uh, so many of those passing plays getting broken up in back checks too. Like those are a couple of really big things that when those are going your way, you're really tough to play against. And that's how the Winnipeg Jets want to be. Uh, quickly, we'll do a little forward line round table. And I say that fully recognizing we're sitting at a rectangular table. So <laughs> bear with me. It's on whatever this one. T- it's whatever shape you want it to be. It's, but when yeah. you when your team puts in 12 goals over the course of two games, and you look at the the way that uh, head coach Rick Bonus has put together the forward lines. Just a quick thought from you guys on a couple of lines that have really stood out. And I think you can really go with, there's been contributions from all of them, but you look at, first off, Kyle Connor, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Mark Shifley. Mark Shifley moves to the wing, still taking a lot of face-offs, right side, strong side for him, Pierre-Luc Dubois on the left. But that's a line that seemed to kind of get some of the offense rolling, and that's happened in the last couple of games. Over the course of the last handful half a dozen seven years who have been or who have been the two driving parties of this team that you've relied on and that is Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley and yes Blake Wheeler is 36 years old and he'll be 37 this coming summer but he still is an important piece we've talked about that repeatedly on this podcast even going into this season so what's happened here in the last two games you've made some alterations to the lines And all of a sudden, now you've got Mark Scheifele sitting on 39 goals, and you've got to think that over the course of the next five games, he's going to find his way into one more for a new career high at 40. Blake Wheeler seems energized again, playing with Nemesnikov. So that's what's happened here is you've reconfigured, and then you've re-energized some guys just with a different sort of look, a different feel, and maybe the augmentation of a different way that a guy plays in the middle or the guy plays beside you. And if you don't have those two guys going, even Mark Shifley at, at 38 until he got his 39th goal, and Blake Wheeler, who broke a, a scoreless drought of 21 games recently in this homestand, if you don't have those guys going, then there's more pressure on Dubois and more pressure on certainly Kyle Connor. When you can spread it out, I think it makes it easier for everybody to score. So for me, when I look at that, that's been a key to this resurgence in 12 goals. Also, Sure, you can say to Nito Niederreiter, you came in here with 20-plus goals and now you're sitting on 24. Uh, would you play on the top six on your right wing? And if he, he's going to say, sure, of course I'm going to play there. I'm going to play wherever I'm asked to play. But maybe he's more comfortable mm-hmm. in a third-line spot on his natural side, on the left-wing side. And that's helped Mason Appleton and Adam Lowry and Nito Niederreiter. So it's been one, two, three. And I would even suggest even further that the fourth line has generated some chances they just haven't scored in the last two games. So from that standpoint, you've gotten contributions right through with a couple of lineup changes just two games ago. And just watching Nikolai Ehlers and Vladislav Domestikov 
Paul mentioned that as well about kind of revitalize Blake Wheeler. It's about the space. And Paul and Blake Wheeler touched on that after the game against New Jersey. It's just the space that Nikolai Ehlers is providing for Wheeler to get to where he has to go and give him that extra couple, a second or so to do what needs to be done. It's been really neat to watch. And you kind of figured when they put Connor Shifley and Dubois together that something was going to come out of that. Um, the only thing Rick Bonus says is the adjustment for Dubois and Shifley is the defensive end of the ice. You know, they're used to where they have to go low. Uh, and from a center position, they both have to figure that out and remember where, where they're at that point because they're switching throughout the game because of, because of faceoff. Um, but it's so far so good in two two games. And we wait and see how it goes as things <laughs> contribute. We'll, we'll get to it a little, in a little bit, but uh, obviously the, the homestand doesn't get any easier and the magnitude of the games only get bigger and bigger. We'll get to that, though, after this uh, feature interview with uh, Mark Morrison, the head coach, of the Manitoba Moose. Jamie, you talked to him, the AHL affiliate of the Winnipeg mm-hmm. Jets, banging on the door of a, of a playoff spot as the regular season winds down for them. They sure are. And listen, we've come to, we've become accustomed to there being a lot of transactions through the year, a lot of players getting opportunities. That hasn't been the case for the Moose this year. A lot of guys not coming up because the Jets have eight defensemen. There haven't been that many injuries. A lot of players are already up. So Mark Morrison has the extra task of keeping these guys their, their hopes up, right? He's showing them video, showing them all the right things that they're doing that's going to get them back to the NHL one day. So I, I found that part of the conversation the most interesting, but uh, it's a good 15 minutes. Shop where the players shop. Jets Gear and TrueNorthShop.com are your authentic team stores. Make sure to stock up on all your favorite Winnipeg Jets and Manitoba Moose merchandise today. Visit one of the five Jets Gear locations or shop online at TrueNorthShop.com. Hi, this is Pierre-Luc Dubois, and you're listening to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. All right, so I know you know who I'm talking about. Someone told me when Penticton this past year that you're one of the most, like, the best half-wall player they've ever seen. And, of course, this is coming from Craig Heisinger, so he has a mass respect for your game. What can you say about the style of player that you were when you played? And, uh, of course, Zinger's scouting report on that. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to trust Zinger's scouting report. Um, no, I, yeah, I was a half-wall player in the power play. I mean, I, uh, I was an offensive guy. He, he would like to tell you I never came back across the red line, but, uh, but I actually did. Um, yeah, I, uh, but we used different power plays in those days. You know, We used, like, it was called an overload, and yeah. you'd play the half-wall, and you'd have a guy low in the corner on your side. And um, Yeah, I was offensive, and uh, I liked the power play. That, that was my game. I, I put up some points in, in junior for sure. Is a half-wall used enough nowadays uh, as compared to when you played? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, there's there's the cycle game on the power play too, where there's a half wall and a low guy that you used to use and used to cycle. I mean, the Sedins did it as mm-hmm. well for for yeah. years. You know, um, yeah, it's it's changed now. You know, you don't see it. You don't see it as often for sure. Uh, you know, you don't see that cycle game low on the power play, and the guy would come out of the corner up top and be a threat to shoot or go high with it. But uh, the game has changed. Um game is always changing, always evolving, but uh, one part of the evolution of the game is through prospects and everything, and just an announcement came out the other day that the Young Stars tournament is coming back again next year. Uh, funny things, the things you find out about people on car rides. I found out about you that you went to Penticton uh, a lot growing up, and uh, can you take me through that and your memories of, of that city in BC? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in uh, in Vancouver, and um, you know, our, our summer vacations were spent in uh, in Penticton. It's a little bit warmer uh, 
uh, you know, warmer air down there. So we would go there for our holidays and uh, my family holidayed and, and I went to hockey school. So the Penticton Hockey School or the Okanagan Hockey School was, uh, you know, and still is uh, a famous hockey school. And I would spend uh, three to four weeks uh, at that school. And uh, it used to be owned by Larry Lund. And uh, it was always nice to go there and, and uh, get some NHL players who he would hire to work it. And uh, it was fun, uh, but it was a lot of work. As in my family hung around the pool and uh, I was... I was on the ice going up and down, uh, but uh, it, it was fun and it was a huge part of uh, my development as a player was uh, that hockey school. I remember the pamphlet that came out, it says you don't go to Okanagan Hockey School to get in shape, you get in shape to go to Okanagan Hockey School. I imagine you've got the same thing, the same pamphlet. Yeah, very <laughs> true. It was hard. I mean, uh, you know, they would skate you a lot. You would have a power skating session, then you would do the skills session, and at the end uh, it was just a skate, they called it, and it was... Uh, goal line to goal line and then blue line to goal line they called it the ladder and we would do that and then we would go on the field uh because of the weather was so nice all the time uh, and we would do sprints and, and some running and exercises outside but it was uh you know for a young kid uh it was a hard school now so and this is one other part of the story you told me and i find very funny is that your family's on vacation and you're you're <laughs> these grueling workouts and you said you would come back and you're family your siblings would tell you how great their holiday has been yeah 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 they would uh, you know there's some great beaches there they would go to the beach and spend some time around the pool at the hotel and then they go mini golfing and uh, all sorts of things and i was running laps uh, or skating laps anyways yeah for sure um the grind of the of the season is here or we're in the midst of it by the way and you you look at Nine, 99% of the time, there's a lot of transactions between the Moose and the Jets. That hasn't been the case this year. How have you dealt with that? Not the Moose. Like, there seems to be a lot of continuity for your hockey club this year. Yeah, there is, and I, you know, I think you'll you'll find that uh, one of the one of the places that's that's helped is on the special team. So our power play is has been in the top five uh, pretty much all year, and so is our PK. So special teams, uh, that helps with special teams because, you you know, you're throwing the same units out uh, game after game, and uh, you're not changing them up all the time. So that part has helped. Uh, some of the lines uh, have been able to uh, stay the same as well, uh, you know, because of the continuity. But, uh, you know, there, there's ways where it, it helps, and there's other ways where it hurts you where, you know, you you sometimes want those call-ups so that it keeps the energy within the group, you yeah. know, like where uh, maybe a defenseman's playing uh, superb and, uh, you know, he deserves a call-up and you'd like him to get a couple games in to keep uh, the confidence up and, you know, to keep that fire burning. But um, they've they've been healthy enough on the defense and, and they've carried uh, pretty much most of the year eight defensemen up there. So there hasn't been a, a chance really for, for some of them, but... Um, that can work both ways. It can help you for sure at, at times if you get some call-ups. But uh, the continuity in the group has been the same, and uh, as they get along great, and it, it's been nice. Staying with that conversation, what is the challenge of the coaching staff to keep that that freshness? Like you know, the, the call-ups aren't happening. So how do you keep the spirits high in that aspect? Yeah, it's you know, there's a lot of meetings. You yeah. know, there's a lot of meetings. There, there's a lot of making sure that the communication is there and. Um, it's not that uh, they didn't get the, you know, most of the, it, the Jets stayed fairly healthy and they had enough bodies, so it's not that they didn't get the call-up. The opportunity just wasn't there, uh, if, you know, and you got to make sure they know that, that uh, if there was a call-up, they might be the next one going. Uh, that's how, you know, that's where their game is at. So uh, you, have to keep, uh, you have to keep telling them and letting them know where their game is at, and if it's good enough that they deserve a call-up but the opportunity is not there for a call-up, you know, they can't do much more than that. They can only look after what they can look after. 
You obviously had a relationship with Rick Bonus before he was hired this year. Uh, talk about how far that goes back. Oh, it goes back uh, back to my days when I was in the ECHL, uh, probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, he was with the Canucks, and uh, I was with the Victoria Salmon Kings in the ECHL. And in the middle of that group was the Manitoba Moose. So it was the Canucks, the Moose, and then down to the ECHL Victoria Salmon Kings. And uh, early on in the season, there would uh, be meetings between all the coaches of the three teams, and they'd be held in Vancouver with uh, Elaine Vigneault and, and, and Rick Bonus. And um, that's where I got to meet Rick at those meetings, and we had years of those meetings. And uh, that's where I got to, to know him and, and you know learn about... Uh, he worked with the D at that time in Vancouver, and uh, he had a lot of special things that he did that I, I always thought were, it was interesting. He used to give out... Uh, he used to give out cards, uh, like little business cards, to his defensemen that had, um, you know, like three or four notes on them, things that they had to, to make sure that they looked after, like, you know, basics, like, uh, you know, maybe box out net front or whatever, or a weakness that that yeah. player had, and he'd make the player carry that in his wallet around. And I, I thought that was one of the interesting things. Like, he did a lot of real uh, special things at that time, yeah. So when you heard he was hired, it must there's some comfortability there, right? Because there's a relationship between the coach of the Moose and, co- and the coach of the, of the Winnipeg Jets, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I can talk to him anytime. I can pick up the phone and call him. He's, uh, uh, you know, very easy to talk to, and he's always willing to spend time. And, uh, yeah, so for sure. I mean, that's uh, that was uh, good news for me to hear, for sure, that I knew that uh, somebody's in that, that position that uh, – is going to be honest with me and is uh, going to be easy to talk to and we can share uh, you know different different styles of hockey and uh, let each other know what we're doing here at the same time and play the same systems and so yeah it's uh, it's a good relationship okay so you picked your brain you picked the brain of rick bonus who's another couple of coaches say that you've got some great ideas that you put into everyday work here with the moose um well just guys that i've worked with mm-hmm. you know uh i worked with randy carlisle and and uh um, some of the some of the basics that uh, that he uh, brought to the Anaheim Ducks uh, I use here mm-hmm. um, for sure. Um, you know some of the just the way he managed lines, managed managed the bench. Uh, there's some interesting things that I, that I've learned there. Um, yeah, I mean same with uh, same with Dallas Eakins. Uh, mm-hmm. He had some special things, and you know I, I thought how he treated players and his communication level uh, was really always high, and uh, kind of took that away from him. Um, with Randy, and he hated telling the media the starting goaltender. You, you, you never taught that, never brought that with you as well. <laughs> like to me, so when I was covering the Calgary Flames, Randy came to town with the Anaheim Ducks, and I was I asked him about the starting goaltender, and he bit my head off. And then you would just actually comically watch other media members, and you just wa- wait for it to happen. So obviously, that's not something that you brought over to your coaching style. You're more than happy to give the starting goaltender. Yeah, <laughs> I'm happy to give the starting goal. I didn't take that from him, but. The one thing I didn't take from what you just mentioned is biting your head off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I've seen that too. Yes, yeah. I'm sure he's bit your head off a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, let's talk about your group right now. And, you know, Dominic Toninato was uh, re- re- sent down to the Moose. And how has he been as a veteran player in your dressing room? Uh, well, that's uh, interesting that you asked that question because uh, there's, a very, uh, there's a very easy answer. And we've, we've spoken about it uh, with the coaching staff and uh, for the last you know couple of weeks in here, uh, he he's tremendous. Mm-hmm. Like uh, he's a tremendous leader. Um, he's great in our dressing room. Um, he's great with the players. He's great with the young players. 
does everything right on the ice as far as system goes and his effort. Um, I, I can't say enough about about Dominic. Uh, he's uh, he he's a class act that works hard and uh, provides us uh, with some offense and and just just a good player, a good person. What's the attitude usually when a player comes down who's had significant time in the National Hockey League and the, and you know they're going to be down? You know, there's a good chance they're going to spend a large large amount of time in the American Hockey League. Yeah, again, you know, I, I think there's the communication between the coaches and what we're looking for and what, how we want to help him uh, get back to that level has to be, uh, you know, talked about. Uh, so, again, it, it's about meetings. It's about the communication being honest um, and us trying to help him get back to that level that, that he wants to get back at. So, um, you know, we do our best here to, to make sure that they all get that opportunity, whether it's us playing them in the right positions, playing them in the right special teams and uh, with the right people and, and making sure that uh, they're also happy with, with what's going on. Jansen Harkins has been a point-per-game player since coming down to the Moose. What can you say about how he's generated offense and all the stuff that the Jets and you guys need him to do? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he uh, he's come down and and he's worked hard. Uh, he's he's got a huge compete in him, and again, he's another guy that uh, you know he wants to get back to that level, and and he's doing everything that he can in practice, everything that he can in games, uh, to try to get back there. And uh, he's again, he has been very uh, easy to work with and very accommodating to us, and uh, we keep that relationship open to make sure that that you know he's happy. So uh, he's playing well. Uh, he's putting the puck in there. He's showing offense, um, you know, like all over the league. Every game that uh, that he plays here, he seems to be one of the best offensive players on the ice. Now, you know, I, it's been hard for him to translate that over to the NHL yeah. uh, a level. Um, so we're always looking for ways that uh, if he is called up or he does go back to that level of hockey that uh, can help him with his offense and, you know, maybe moving the puck a little bit quicker or, or getting open, you know, without – moving it, get open, and, and have some free space. Uh, so there's things that we work with him with, and, uh, yeah, he's played very well for us. It's been a unique year over with the transactions or lack thereof because the Jets' health uh, up at the NHL level. But you also had two first-round picks this year in Chaz Lucius and Brad Lambert, two young players. Not very often they get to do this and play in the American Hockey League for the amount of time that they did. What did you think of their growth in the short time they were here? Yeah, I, I thought that they both um, – they both learned how hard it is to play in the American Hockey League and how physical it is. Um, the pace is is fast, and uh, I think you know they they both took that away from here. Like, holy, this is a, this is a hard league, and we're going to have to. I, I think it was good for them. I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they they know that uh, they have to put some work in in the summer. They need to be better hockey players to come back here and play, and uh, they got to respect the league and. Um, they did, uh, mm-hmm. and I thought uh, I, I thought they got better. Um, you know, with again with moving the puck quicker and not being able to hang on to it as much as they're used to hanging on to it. Uh, move it and get it back in open spaces. I think they learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. I think it was good for them. Uh, now, how long is that transition do you find with younger players that come from junior hockey to not hold on to the puck? Is that like five games, is it ten games? Yeah. What is usually that transition in your mind? Yeah, it's different for everybody, yeah. you know. It's different for everybody. Like some guys, like for, for instance, Brad, he's got so much speed that, you know, he can pull himself away from guys. Um, but at the end of the day, he's going he's gonna to run into guys that can skate as well as him in coverage, especially defensemen that can skate and can move. Yeah. Um, so we wanted him to move it and get it back. And it might take him a little bit just because he can carry the puck at a faster pace. Uh, Chaz's give-and-go was, was quickly learnt. Uh, he figured that out fast, you mm-hmm. know, and 
Um, he got into open places, and he started to, to, to play a, a professional game. I can go. We could be here for hours talking about all the prospects the Jets have down here with you. Let's talk about what's ahead down the road here. Playoffs are coming. I don't want to jinx it. Knocking wood on that one. How do you feel about your group as you get closer to that and clinching a playoff spot? Well, I, I think uh, we've had our ups and downs as far as being on rolls, and right now we're not on a roll. Uh, you know, we've lost our last four hockey games here, and I think uh, for me it's it's not about the standings uh, right now or, or looking at that board. It's just about us playing a better game. Uh, we had a long road trip for 15 days. We came back, and uh, we just didn't look like we had the same energy, the same pace. Um, but we're getting it back here, and, and I think uh, this weekend will be a big weekend for us. But uh, I, I just want us to get back playing faster hockey than we played in the last uh, couple of weeks. Appreciate your time. All right, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey, Jets fans, I'm Sarah Orleski. Don't forget to join me after each and every home game for the Winnipeg Jets postgame show live presented by Budweiser, where you'll get exclusive interviews, in-room access, and more. Catch us on all Winnipeg Jets platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and winnipegjets.com. And we thank Mark Morrison for his time. Obviously, a really busy homestand for the Manitoba Moose uh, right now, and a huge one in terms of them trying to secure that playoff spot in the American Hockey League. Now, I mentioned just before that interview, big week this week. As we record, this being Tuesday, the Jets are taking on the Calgary Flames on Wednesday and the Nashville Predators on the weekend. They close out the homestand against the San Jose Sharks on Monday. Calgary, as we mentioned, is going to be coming in on the back half of a back-to-back. Both games against Calgary have been 3-2 final scores, the home side winning each time. What's it going to take, fellas, to pick up uh, a couple of big wins this week? Well, can the Jets take advantage of a team coming in, as you suggest, on back-to-back for the third straight time? They did it to Detroit. They did it to New Jersey. Can they do it to Calgary? Is this an elimination game? No, it's not. Is it a must-win game? No, it's not. Um, because I think you still have a little bit of runway. It gets shorter and it gets tighter if you don't win the game and you need to take care of your own business. If Calgary is successful and comes in tied with the Winnipeg Jets in terms of points, Winnipeg would still win by virtue of the tiebreaker format, and there's a number of those, uh, but just the fact that the Jets have a total now of 43 wins, that helps you in regulation, right? Um, and and a little bit less than 43 in regulation because they've had a number of overtime wins. But there are some tiebreaker formats that Winnipeg does qualify ahead of the Calgary Flames on. But I think both teams understand the magnitude of this game. And the winner will feel very good about where they are, not only in the standings, but psychologically. The loser, I think, is going to really feel this one. This will be a latent effect to that game if they lose. And the key part is, can you pick yourself up off the mat if you do lose this game? Winnipeg has the advantage. They're at home. They beat the Calgary Flames 3-2, as you mentioned, already at home back in January. So you can win the season series here. Um, But from my standpoint... You still need to take care of another game against Nashville, against San Jose on this homestand. So can you get a point out of here? Sure. Is it imperative? Yeah, probably. Two points would be exactly where you need to be. But boy, we're talking about this and not talking about other things. And Mm -hmm, that's the best part of this. So let the cards 
you know, kind of lay where they are. And let's see what kind of hand both these two teams have at the end of 60 or 65 minutes and maybe a shootout. And let's go from there. But I'm looking forward to it because it, it kind of goes back to the old 80s and early mm-hmm. 90s days of, of two teams in that Smythe division again. Of course, all kinds of rivalries between the two cities when it comes to hockey and football, of course. Mm-hmm. So let's bring it on again and let's see. Let the best team win. Let's just say that. <laughs> Speaking with Neil Pionk today, you said that Calgary through the regular season and plays as close to a playoff style game as any team in the NHL. And he says that, you know, from the players, the coaching staff management, he goes, that's just all what they're, what they're, and that course comes through Daryl Sutter. But this is the Neil said today that they have to match Calgary's physicality. So I those last two games haven't had that physical tone to them as much as say this one, but this will have that. This will look like a playoff game on Wednesday night when the Jets take on Calgary. Real interesting that, like I mentioned, we're uh, recording this on Tuesday, but uh, Daryl Sutter in Chicago and Rick <laughs> Bonus here in Winnipeg both referencing this is going to have as close to a Game 7 feel as you can possibly have in the regular season. Gentlemen, I know it's a busy time. Thanks very much for your time on the uh, the podcast today. My pleasure. Next time on the roundtable, you need to chime in. Yeah. If it's a full roundtable, yeah. you need to get an yeah. opinion on this as Come well. Come on, Mitch. That's true. Chip, yeah. in. true. Chip in, Mitch. I'll, I'll put my opinions together for next <laughs> week. <laughs> this has been Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. For more Jets news, videos, and more, head to winnipegjets.com.